Sometimes the universe is a little too difficult on us. Some days you almost think it's impossible to make it like everything around you is going wrong and that there is no hope left at all. But one must keep rolling because life becomes a little easier when you have someone to share the load with and when you least expect it. The rains will go away like they were never here and then all will be sunny like the story of the summer. Alive and kicking with Rahul Bamni. New episodes every Friday. Welcome sir to Alive and Kicking. Um uh, thank you so much for taking out time. Uh the, it's a podcast where we share stories, we share opinions, perspectives and it's 2020 and I thought it's the best time to do this. Uh we are sitting in our houses, in our homes uh and the least we can do is make conversation about things that are necessary. Uh and it's it's a season uh, with about 9 people coming on a podcast and i was more than, i was very nervous to ask you before uh, but then i thought you know what let's just give it a shot and uh, email sir if you would like to be a part of it uh, and then i then you were more than kind to say a yes so thank you so much i'm very that. happy to be here thank you for having me rahul and uh, before i begin i'll i'll just uh, sort of give an introduction um i know sir because so has been my professor for my third year uh, in bmm in wilson college uh sir has also been a professor in different colleges uh, that majorly counts to xaviers uh he has been so throughout i went through your entire uh, history sir sort of on linkedin and you have been in different positions at different times uh and most probably i think it was it was the editor part that really uh was prominent so even when you began from midday uh to to readers digest uh and everything that comes between it i c m i e uh then ht and then you became a consultant to uh, monash research academy IIT Bombay and right now you're I think I are you still a part of all of this that's going on somehow most of it yes so my career is divided into two phases all uh, you said uh, that most prominent was the editor part the editorial role as a journalist and there's a very simple reason for that i spent about 25 uh, little over 25 years in journalism as an active journalist and when you spend so much time uh, i started right at the bottom of the rung as a trainee but when you spend so much time in a particular profession you know whether you're good or not you keep getting pushed upwards and uh, i when i ended my career i was somewhere at the top of the uh, at the top rung of the ladder so a large part of my uh, career the first part of my career was spent in journalism uh then i moved on to other things like working with uh, visually impaired people teaching and uh, a whole lot of things that i really wanted to always wanted to do but could not find the time to do because of journalism journalism is a very demanding profession and uh so so because i've heard a lot of people even though for example my parents have the same kind of a stereotype that when you say journalism it's majorly getting down on the streets uh reporting uh, a news uh this is the this is sort of the stereotyped idea of journalism but i see that your sort of a role was beyond this you actually sat 
uh, I, I'm guessing you sat in front of your screens, you sat in front with your papers, and you had to write a lot. You had to go through a lot of reading over the period of time. So, do you do you somewhere feel that journalism is is only known superficially uh, for the news role that it has? So, I spent all my career in print journalism, not in broadcast journalism. and the thing about uh, the word journalism immediately brings to mind a reporter somebody yeah. who's on the street who has a mic in his hand and he's thrusting it at you suppose there has been an accident and uh, you know there's been a fire and somebody has escaped from that fire you'll see the the impression that you have in your mind is of somebody who walks up with you uh, holding a mic and says you know aap bach gaye aapko kaisa lag raha hai right so those are the guys who are in front of the camera yeah but uh, or on this on on the scene reporting right that's actually a reporter who's doing that or a camera person or a photographer who's doing that but journalism is not only about being on the scene there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes as well and uh, my job was mostly behind the scenes so you have a news desk and uh, for a long time i was a news editor in the newspapers that i worked with yeah so as a new editor you are literally like the conductor of the orchestra and you decide what goes into the paper how it goes what the headline should be what a whole lot of things you're running the entire news desk so there are people behind the scenes as well and uh, journalism is not only about those who are in front of the scene they they are the visible uh, in front of the camera they are the visible people but there are a lot of invisible people as well So, so uh, any particular reason that you came at a point where, like you said, you let's call it the peak of the career, and then you suddenly decided to just go and do things that your heart wanted to do all this while, which is working with visually impaired people, uh, which is uh, teaching as a profession that you've taken up. I'm guessing, and I think that I and you're absolutely amazing at uh, teaching, and I've had the I've had the joy of. learning from you for a semester uh, but uh, how how did that transition happen actually none of what i have done in my life has been planned i you know i have just got into things because uh, i was pushed into doing things for example i would have continued in journalism except that i uh, reached a midlife crisis and the midlife crisis was really bad it was weighing me down and i was losing sleep and i thought i had spent 25 years doing just one thing in my life and there were lots of other things that i needed to do uh, and i thought that once when you do you know something for for that long a period you think that you're only good enough to do that one thing you know can i make a good teacher can i can i handle a group of 18 or 19 year olds in a classroom what if they ask me a question that i don't know i don't have an answer to it's actually a very simple thing if you don't have an answer to something you just be honest and say sorry rahul i don't know the answer to this but i'll come back and and we can have this discussion later but these were deep worries so i had this midlife crisis when i said that i i must go out and do other things as well because uh, life is not uh, very long and uh, when i when i have good health for example i love trekking so uh, these days i prop you know before the lockdown i would go at least on one trek a month as a journalist that was never possible because uh, i would end up reaching home maybe at 2 or 3 in the morning and then you can't wake up at 6 in the morning and then go for a trek 
so that so life lifestyle was possibly very busy when you were a journalist and then i think i think transitioning to other roles probably made you a little happier and a little you got more sleep if i must lots of sleep uh, and made me extremely happy but i'll tell you uh, something uh, it's not easy to reinvent yourself what i did is i, I tried to reinvent myself and two things helped me in this reinvention uh, number one is i stopped worrying about money uh, if you decide that you're going to do something because you need x amount of money coming into your bank account every month then you are constrained by that thought uh, i stopped worrying about money so i used to earn uh, a whole lot of money when i was uh, in my last job as a journalist but when i decided to you know uh, move on to working with visually impaired people uh, that was a something that i had absolutely no clue about so my first uh, salary check working with the visually impaired person was about 10 or 11% of the money that i was earning as a journalist i had just stopped worrying about money and why i could do this is because i had led a decently disciplined life my wife is very very good with numbers with money with saving and um, women are amazing at a lot of things she's amazing yes. at many many things this is one thing that she was extremely good with so we had saved up a good amount of money and the second thing is that i had complete support from her and from my daughter we have one daughter and when i said look i'm tired of doing this and i want to do other things with my life and uh, i probably won't be able to bring in much put much money on the table they both turned around and said you know that's fine so that helped a great deal so i don't know i have this sort of a idea but i feel fathers with daughters and uh, so basically in your house it's it's more women uh, uh you know as compared to the other gender uh, they are very kinder uh, they are kinder uh, in nature they they handle situations in a better way is what i think because i have i am uh, so i belong to a house where three of us it's me my brother and my father and there's only mom and uh, so there's there's no balance as such and my mother constantly keeps uh, wondering and she keeps telling us that i wish i had another daughter and she would understand me and my problems and my situation so i i and i've met other men uh, you know who have who have only daughters uh, either two of them sometimes three and they they are they're very sweet <laughs> is that do you think that's true i'm not very sure about that rahul because i don't know whether there is evidence to Uh, you know actually come to such conclusion usually you come to a conclusion based on evidence otherwise it is a stereotype and it's otherwise stereotype. it is something that we think that is true and stereotypes can come from many places you know uh, if you read 10 whatsapp messages saying that the, the pilot was responsible for the plane crash this morning when the poor man may not have been responsible at all yeah. that somewhere sticks in your head so if there's evidence to show that i'd be happy to uh go with that view but otherwise um it is somebody's view you are entitled to your yeah very subjective i have to take you through a couple of uh mails and these were amazing mails that you started back um in march when you thought of beginning something called as isolation days or isolation 
and you started writing mails and i i was lucky to be a part of that mailing list uh receiving mails and and i was so i was at the same time doing my first job uh which i was about to finish in may and like i like i like i mentioned uh, this was my first experience at advertising uh the working hours were very different uh there were days when i would work till 10 there were days when i would finish work at 7 so it was very difficult to keep up with your mails but i i used to tell myself that even if i miss out reading your mails i will take that one day in the week where i will read all the mails throughout the week and then reply sath me to you as a one by one so i managed to keep up i think till 15 or 17 uh and then beach beach me i got i think one which was day 41 day 40 to 43 uh and i selected a few mails so uh some great stories that i came across while reading your mails were uh from sharmila rege if i'm pronouncing it right uh shayonita malik uh mr gandhi mk gandhi of course and frank um and then there are these ones which i selected which i really loved and i took lessons from it so uh firstly thank you so much for writing those mails uh i don't know if you permit us we'll possibly release one or two stories out uh on on instagram uh if you if you allow us to do that that's fine Raul. you can go ahead and do it i wrote it to a lot of people it's in the public domain and if you think it's going to be of use most certainly uh, the first mail uh, so i'll go uh, the other way around this is day 15 this was uh, ali sate ali sate and uh, very short mail as compared to the other mails that came in but i think i was hooked on to the music uh, and the song and it just kept uh, it was so- sort of on a loop for a week or two and i uh, and i went on to share that song with my cousins with my friends around and i kept telling them that you know it's it's a very different song you know it's it, i got introduced to it by my professor and you should listen to it so uh, so this sort of br- brings me to the topic uh, that um, you talk about uh, poetry you talk about ghazals uh, in this more entire email and and most of these things happen with me when i'm procrastinating so this segment is about procrastination and and what i do usually is uh, it's mostly the nights when i try to sleep by around 12 but i don't manage to sleep till 3 so i'm just lying in bed and thinking about what could have been uh, and in it's not uh, where, and one of the mails that i came across uh, yours was when you mentioned that you all you did in school was have fun uh, you used to enjoy your time and then you ended up taking commerce uh you have a bcom and then you went on to do your degree so sir do you do you think if if you you knew about arts or would you have, would you have chosen arts if it was the case i went to a boys school rahul and uh, those days uh usually uh males did not choose arts i'm talking i i graduated in uh, no i finished my ssc in 1980 a few years before you were born so It's a lot of years. A lot of years before you. Ninety-eight. Yes. So, uh, not many males took arts. Number one. Number two is you know this whole counselling and all that happens that that happens these days where you go up to a counsellor you find out what you're proficient at and all that did not exist back then. I remember 
that uh, I went to a, a Jesuit school. It was run by Jesuits. And when we were in standard 10, there was a priest who one day walked up to class and he said, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to sit each of you down. We were 48 students, I think, in the class. And he said, I'm going to uh, sit each of you down and ask you, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? And so... You know, somebody said pilot, somebody said uh, the usual, you know, uh, somebody said pilot, somebody said businessman. In fact, there was one guy from a batch who went on to be a very, become a very successful and a well-known businessman today. So he did end up doing what he, what he said he would do. But there was this boy who stood up and said, I want to be a cricketer. So uh, everybody laughed and except the priest, right? Everybody said, you know, is this something that uh, anybody would uh, pick as a career choice, basically. So, so, so this boy said, I want to become a cricketer and um, I'll do everything that I can to become a cricketer. I want to play for India. Eventually, um, he had to give up his dream. But what I liked about that particular thing was that even though the students did not realize at that point that... Uh, you know, this guy was very serious about it. The priest who was uh, counseling, if I may use that word, without actually knowing that he was counseling us, uh, took this boy very seriously. So your question was about arts. I had, all that I knew is that girls took up arts, basically. And all that I knew is that all the guys in my college were, or in school, most of the guys in school were taking up commerce. Commerce then was what BMM is now and you know, what other things are now. Very, very glamorous, very exciting. You can become a chartered accountant, you can become a company secretary, you can work in an investment bank. Very exciting. Yeah. It was terrible with numbers. I still am terrible with numbers. So it was a terrible choice to make. But everybody was doing it. So I did it as well. So so do you ever sit back today and think uh, if things were different uh, and if, if it wasn't a stereotype as such, for example, people actually thought arts is also very, very much equally uh, valid and good as compared to, you know, commerce or science for that matter of fact you would have taken it because i i know that you have an interest in history uh, yes. i would have i would have taken up history certainly if uh, i had you know the for, i was fortunate enough to take that decision in hindsight if you ask me today i would have said yes i would have taken up uh, history or ancient indian culture or something like that but um, those days you know one did not have the hindsight to talk about that but to answer your question, even today, if you go to a Wilson College or you go to a Xavier's College and you enter an FYBA classroom, you still find that, that maximum 12%, maybe between 12 and 15% males, everybody else is females. So it is a stereotype and uh, it is a stereotype that is being fueled every single year and with every single generation. And it had that, that one part hasn't changed from the time I was in college and you are in college or you were yeah, in college. it hasn't at all and i completely agree because even today when um, when i was quitting my job and I, so what i usually do is like you mentioned nothing nothing is planned i do it if i feel it and that's how i've taken every decision and usually the concern is in the family is uh, okay you know your elder brother has done science uh, he's done an mba from simbi and so he said, he, you know, he's settled, he's going to have a job, but you've done arts. And uh, what will you do now if you're quitting this job? And will you get a good salary? 
and we have no clue what are you going to become when you grow up uh, you're 28 29 what will you do what will be your job so even when i now when i discuss with them about what my plans for masters is i have to sit down and explain to them that you know we also get jobs uh, these are real things uh, and the media is pretty huge journalism is uh, very important and so to just say that i think the stereotype still exists uh, the ideology still exists possibly yeah but to take uh, from one point which you said that the media is huge yes the media has expanded and when we spoke about the media earlier it is just used to be uh, television radio and uh, newspapers right especially uh, the news media but today it's expanded i mean you you can make a living out of it you can make a career out of it television uh, there's digital content there's events uh, so i teach at uh, xic in xaviers and xic just this year has started uh, a completely new course which is called event marketing and right in the first year itself they had students signing up for it because students see that there is a very clear potential to make a career in this so the media actually has exploded because of social media i think your 10th got over in uh, 1980 like you mentioned so you yeah. must be you must have a faded memory you know about what uh, what the emergency was like do you have any yes memory? i do I, and yeah. since we're talking media and how it was constrained and everything was so political how was it how was it being in school and uh, facing the emergency there were two two things i remember when i was in school one was when uh, mr fakhruddin ali ahmed died mr fakhruddin ali ahmed was the president of india many many years ago and why do i remember this because somewhere in the short recess we had a short recess and a long recess like most schools have oh. somewhere in the short recess the bell rang for a very long time and then an announcement was made on the public announcement system that, that uh, mr fakhruddin ali ahmed the president has passed away and chutti everybody can go home right so yeah. uh, so i distinctly remember that very clearly and then i remember this part as well about about the emergency and uh, i was quite young then to be frank and i didn't know uh, i hadn't read as much as i have now about it and what was happening but uh, if you want really like to connect the dots the interesting thing is many many years later when i worked for one of the newspapers uh, i will not mention the newspaper and i want not mention the gentleman also involved but one of my bosses was the chief censor of maharashtra during the emer- emergency so it was this gentleman who would uh, every journalist had to go to this gentleman and he would decide whether your story was fit to print or not so i ended up actually working with him uh, much much after the emergency a fine gentleman a nice man and a, and a very polite and uh, extremely erudite man uh, but but you know he had donned such a role during the emergency yeah and you happened to meet him years later i think what a years later years later yeah so yeah and this uh, so ali said's uh, email ends with a goodbye in persian Uh, which i can't pronounce but i think i will learn it from you later and we'll put it out together these different goodbyes um also uh, 
since we're talking about procrastination, was isolation males, uh, was this entire concept also because of that? Or was it like a planned thing? Were you always looking forward to do this? Uh, especially, I, I'm guessing uh, the lockdown was declared around 22nd March. Uh, and then you thought of starting this mail. Yeah, so one, the I had not planned this. The main reason I started doing this is uh, immediately after this lockdown started and this co- Corona and COVID scare happened, we got started getting bombarded with, with that. And that was the only thing that people were reading to or listening to on television or on their phones. So I just thought it would be nice to you know, put out something that had nothing to do with COVID and allow people to read that as well. I've read a reasonable amount of things in my life uh, so far. And uh, I thought... And, and I have a reasonable collection of books at home. And I thought it would be nice just to put together things. And this would be a good occasion to share it with people. So that was one reason. The second, and I think the more important reason is, I was very, very fearful that I would not, uh, I would slip into a situation where uh, I needed to follow a routine. I think all of us in our lives, we need to follow a routine. So... Uh, putting together this lockdown uh, newsletter, what I call, I used to call it the lockdown newsletter and I titled them as isolation day one, isolation day two. Day two, yeah. yeah. It helped me to get into a routine of deciding and planning what I should put out the next day. So to read enough about that and then to be able to write an email surrounding that and to attach that. So, so the necessity to fall into a routine is actually what provoked me to start this. But at the same time, so when you see most of the events in your life are unplanned, they happen on their own or it's it's a decision that you take uh, with instinct. But at the same time, you require a daily uh, routine, a timetable to follow. Uh, is there a fear of lo- losing uh, sanity in, in, day time, in daily life? Which you probably don't have in a long term plan. So when you think of, okay, where am I six months from now? I don't know, but I I know what I have to do today. Yes, you know, routine is something that everybody needs to follow. If you want to be a writer, you have to write every single day. If you want to be a musician, you have to play. You know, uh, a guitarist, you have to play the guitar every single day. Because if you don't, I studied uh, uh, Hindustani music when I was yeah, very young, and uh, I hated doing it because when I was uh, my mother pushed me and my brother to join this class. And it meant uh, less time to play football. You know? So uh, we hated going there. But the fact is, we went there. And much later, I realized that in order to be good at anything you do, you need to, you know, uh, what the um, wo- the workout world calls calls reps. You know, yeah. so many reps of this exercise. Unless you repeat what you're doing, you won't be. Uh, you know, the more you, the better you'll get at it. So. Routine is very, very important. So I have a very clear routine in my life after I quit journalism because the hours became very manageable. In journalism, I would start the day late. Of course, you're switched on all the time because you need to know what's going on all the time. If a plane crashes in uh, Kori Kod Airport at 7.50 p.m., you still need to be switched on and fresh in order to be able to report that. I remember one day when I went to work, and I was leaving the office at about 10, 30 in the night. It was one of the early days that I was, the days when I was able to leave the office early. Just before leaving the office, I went to what was called a ticker room, you know, uh, Press Trust of India, PTI and UNI. Those days, they used to put out uh, dispatches. So I went to the ticker room, 
just before leaving, I was a news editor of the newspaper. And suddenly, what did, what do I see there? It, it's, there's a there's a flash that comes in, says which says Rajiv Gandhi dead. Uh, so this was the time when Rajiv Gandhi was uh, killed in Sri Purumudu, right? And I was about to leave for home. Mm. Not only did I not go home, go go home that night, but I ended up not going home for the next three nights because then, uh, you know, the the whole nation was plunged in gloom. We had to bring out multiple editions at that time. There yeah. was a, a complete band in in Mumbai. We had to put out an edition. So, so a journalist life is very unpredictable. And uh, the moment I got out of that unpredictability, I loved getting into a routine because it was something that I always had dreamed about but never had the luxury to do. do. Which brings us to the third point. Uh, do you? Th- um, what are your thoughts about... Uh, so I keep hearing this a lot from my father especially uh, and it goes around everywhere. I think they just say that with age comes experience. Uh, and what, what happens in a lot of arguments is uh, if, I, if, if I'm a 21 year old and I'm talking to a 45 year old uh, and if I try to uh, put down my opinions and my thoughts, there is a very simple line to say that especially in Marathi, in Marathi they usually say uh, which is I have seen a lot of rain, rainy days, uh, more than more rainy days than you have. Uh, and then the argument is probably shut or you know the, the, the person who is elder usually wins the argument. Uh, do you do you think this is, is it's evident. Have you have you ever done it? Do you face it? I don't actually, to be honest, because uh, I believe that we're all responsible for our own actions and our own words. So the one thing that we, as a family, when I was growing up, I got a lot of freedom from my from my dad, from my parents, and I thought that uh, I must give this give the same amount of freedom to my daughter when she was growing up. So I still remember this conversation that I had with her when. Uh, at the age of 21, she decided to uh, go abroad and pursue her uh, post-graduation abroad. It's a very young age to uh, leave home and not just leave home, but to leave the country and go and stay by yourself in a in a new land and yeah. make a life for yourself. So at the age of 21, she decided she want. At the age of 20, she decided to do that. She did all the hard work, spent a lot of uh, time figuring out where she wanted to go and what course she wanted to pursue. Uh, having done all that, she also managed to get a good scholarship from the uh, yeah. university. That, that So I did not have to spend much money. Uh, and at the end of it, as she was leaving, I just wondered what I should tell her basically. You know, because um, from the point of view of a, of a last uh, piece of um, advice, if you could call it that. So at the airport, I still remember telling her this. that I said, you know, whatever you do, uh, don't worry about uh, letting your parents down. Don't worry about letting your teachers down. Don't worry about letting your elders and all of them down. Just remember every night that before you go to sleep, ask yourself, did I let myself down? Did I do anything in which I let myself down? You know, what's most important is that you have to wake up the next morning and the first thing you have to do is see your own face in the mirror, right? Yeah. And if you decide that you're not going to let yourself down, whatever you do, you might want to date somebody, you might want to go and you know, uh, 
whatever it is that you want to do yeah which is fair enough you know, from generation to generation these these things change you know in my generation uh, dating a girl was a big thing uh, in my daughter's generation is not such a big thing anymore in my generation sleeping outside of marriage was a huge thing right nobody spoke about it or other if people spoke about it it was in hush to his words yeah today uh, at least from what i hear it's not uh, such a big thing anymore now of course there is no evidence to prove that but i'm just telling you this is what what one hears so all that i told her is this that you know it's not about letting others down if you follow a simple principle in your life that whatever i do i should not regret it and i should still be able to look at myself in the mirror the next morning uh we move on to the next email sir this i would call it give and take it's a mail you sent uh, on day 11 12 called benef- benefaction if if that's the right way to pronounce it by dominic L- lapier 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 it's a very beautiful small story small email uh where you talk about how uh, he was tra- the writer was traveling uh somewhere around countryside in bengal and he came came across a small girl he offered her a biscuit she thanked him she went ahead and she offered when she came across a dog she gave half the biscuit to the dog and she ate it the remaining herself and the lesson talks about um sharing the lesson talks about giving uh receiving uh so uh my first question is have you what are your thoughts about being selfless and uh, have you uh, have you practiced it do you practice it every day do you think it's important for every human being to uh, be i don't think it's possible to be selfless uh, rahul uh, i'm going to say a very unpopular thing here i think uh, by nature we're all very very selfish we're wired that way from the time we're born Uh, the child will suckle her mother's bre- his you know its mother's breast because it needs the milk right yeah. it's not going to say that somebody else is need, needs the milk let me stop suckling with by instinct we are born like that and uh, when i say selfish uh, you know in a village typically if a cow gives birth to a calf uh, the first thing you're going to do is okay if the calf has had its reasonable amount of milk you're going to say i'm going to get very the, the person who has the cow is going to say i'm going to get very very rich milk and i'm going to get good money out of this right so so the, the the fact of the matter is that i think it's extremely difficult to be selfless the only selfless uh, relationship that i believe exists in the world is that between a mother and a child not even between a father and a child and uh, why do i say this because if you look at a a uh, hypothetical example where if a mother and a child were walking on a railway track and not realizing that there's a train coming behind them and the train suddenly honked yeah um, the mother would first you know hurl the child away before jumping off the tracks right she would look at the child's uh, interest before she would look at her not even a father and i'm saying pure instinct you know out of instinct so so being selfless i think is a virtue that we would all like to attain and a space that we would all like to be in but it's difficult. honestly i don't think uh, any of us can even remotely claim that we're close to that i am an extremely selfish person if i do something it's because i like to do it uh when i started working with uh, visually impaired people 
uh, a lot of people came around and said, no, you're doing great work and uh, very good. We wish we could do that. And um, I turned around and said to them, you know, stop painting a whole halo around my head. It's not about them. It's about me. If I'm doing it, it's because I was going through a midlife crisis. I needed some meaning in life. And they were secondary to my entire decision. So being selfless is a virtue that we all aspire to attain and a position that we all aspire to be in. But I honestly think that at the core, we are all selfish. We're all selfish. The next question which follows is, do you th- so you think we can be selfish and selfless at the same time? Or is it only uh, the dominance of one? No, you can be selfish and selfless at the same time. But more than that, to rephrase what you said, I think you can be selfish and still be doing uh, so-called you know good in good things in quotes. You don't. It's not that you know you, you if you're self selfishness. I don't think is a is a bad thing by itself. Bad virtue. Yeah, bad word. If it drives you to do good things, uh, if you're if you're helping somebody because you're getting me, seeing meaning out of it and you're deriving benefit out of it. Then you're helping somebody because you want to do it. At the core, it's a selfish uh, thing that you're doing, but it's, it's still helping somebody else. Right? If you're giving money to, uh, if, if you're traveling in a train, for example, and uh, uh, a hijra comes and claps on the train, and you can hear her clapping from a long distance, right? Yeah. At some point, you you decide to play God. At some point, you decide that either today I'm going to put my hand into my pocket and give her some, give this person some money. Or I'm not going to give this person some money. What drives you to take that decision between one hijra and another hijra? Right? Every hijra that walks into the train, you won't give them money. Some you will, some you won't. Assuming that you're the type who gives money. Right? So it, it's actually a culmination of many things that comes around. I don't think being selfish is a bad thing. And you can still end up doing a lot of uh, good, good to people around you and to society by remaining selfish uh, the only selfless relationship like i said that i can think of uh, because i've seen it with my you know and all of us have seen it is, a, is yeah. this relationship between the child and a mother and a child as you mentioned the transgenders it reminds me of this story that i was traveling to charney road once to wilson and uh, a transgender entered around i think i think santa cruz car or you know around around that place and being being myself uh, I, I always offer whatever i have even if it's a if it's a rupee or 5 or 10 and that day i had a 10 rupee note and i did not have uh, a coin to offer and uh, she came to me and i gave her the 10 rupee note thinking theek hai matlab nahi hai chota digit wala nahi hai number to kya kare 10 10 de denge and uh, and it's so shocking that she actually returned me a 5 rupee coin and uh, and then I said no, there's no need and she said no, I just need 5 you don't need 10 and it just made me realize uh, I mean it, it just broke a lot of uh, inhibitions I had about the third gender and and since like I said I, I mean I have been unlearning a lot of things in life and I realized lately that unlearning is so important uh and this this happened to be one of them because we are we were always brought up in a in in a society or at least surrounded with people who constantly told us you know it's a bad omen they come you have to offer them money uh, they give you ashirwad 
or uh, you know you shouldn't talk to them a lot uh, which again i i had the pleasure to uh, interview a transgender with rohan and nikita we were they are they were friends from junior college and life was so different after an interview i mean i got to know that the transgender was a bcom graduate from tamil nadu uh, she had four sisters and was the only son and she ran away from the house and came to bombay and uh, and her parents were okay with it because they didn't want another daughter and uh, she mentions how she tried to find a job so many times but nobody was ready to hire her because of her gender Uh, and she was talking to us in english and I, i mean i'm not saying it out of shock but she was she, she was nothing but equal to us and she couldn't get a job in her daily job was to go from cst to thane and clap in the trains and try to take collect money as much as she can yeah, so i think you have story to tell uh, you know if you can price out that story from that human being we're all human beings we all uh, are prone to getting angry we all will at some point fall in love in our lives at some point we will face rejection you know everyone has a story to tell right most people are never asked about their stories and so those stories die with them which is rather unfortunate but instagram is helping lots and lots of stories coming out on instagram i try yes. to do that yes yes love your instagram i it's it doesn't have a background it doesn't have a feed maintained you're not in the bandwagon of uh, keeping wide backgrounds that like other people do you just click a picture or you find a picture from twitter and that touches your heart and that's out there on your instagram and if i have to find something weird or amazing at the same time i have to just go to your uh, page i remember this one story you shared uh, where a procession of uh, Muslims and Hindu was passing on the same road. Uh, I think it was a fest, Muharram or some other festival. I am not sure, but that picture has been. It's, it's. I think it's locked in my memory. How do you do this? Where do you do you always go on searching on Twitter? Is that your like? What morning? Me, first of all, Twitter open. Is that it? I actually am quite addicted to the social media, uh, which is something. Uh, quite unusual like for people my age especially instagram especially uh, twitter and uh, to a large extent facebook as well because a lot of my generation is still on facebook yeah so your generation has now moved on beyond facebook but people i went to uh, went with to in school in college and my earlier early career they're all very active on facebook so it's a great way to stay in touch and uh, you know I don't. I am very bad at taking photographs. I don't have the patience to take uh, photographs, and I think it will take seven rebirths uh, for me to become a decent, a minimum of seven rebirths. But the uh, fact is that uh, I think photographs tell a great story. I remember doing an entire session with your class, uh, yes. which was called, you know, uh, words and pictures or something like that. It's, uh, when words meet pictures, I think that's what yeah. I called it. so an entire session about how images can really tell a story and if you uh, the beauty of uh, social media today is that there are lots and there's lots and lots of content available and uh, never steal content always credit people and if you're not a good photographer so what you can use something nice that somebody else has said but give your perspective along with that which is, which is what i try to do yeah i think i think your uh, instagram profile is a great source uh, it's 
if i have to uh, know something if i have to know a news my source is fade souza she's brought journalism to home she does it from her home and if i have to find an interesting story uh, something unusual i have to go to your profile uh, i have to share this uh, story with you which is uh, going to kala I, i think i remember going to kala ghoda in second year or third year and just before going to kala ghoda i had this conversation with my mother which uh, started from uh, how how she views life after death and uh, what she, what she intends to do and she told me that she would want when she goes uh, or she passes away she would want us to donate all her organs uh, to those who need it and i remember uh, doing uh, i remember going to kala ghoda and there was fortis or some some medical uh, company or you know hospital which was asking people to register to be an organ donor and uh, and i remember instantly just going and registering myself uh, because i mean what's uh, nothing nothing harm there was no harm uh, i would be of use to someone after that uh, so that 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 sort of mindset came in where where i felt we were giving even when we were going we were giving away a lot of things and those could help people uh, which is why i shared the youtube link with you where we uh, we did a short film with ashwin Ashwin passed away a month ago uh, in Nashik. Uh, blind singer. Yeah, uh, yeah, the blind, the blind friend. And um, Ashwin was from our class in junior college. Uh, he was ext- he was extremely bright, a beautiful singer. I think uh, we would all try to just listen to his voice. And uh, then we parted ways when I took BMM and I he pursued BA. And after graduation, he went back home. and i ha- and i haven't been able to keep in touch with him uh, until i until one day i heard that he was feeling sick it was about two days and i think the next morning he passed away which is when this movie came back to me 5 years later thinking i'm so glad that i could spend that one hour with ashwin and listen to what he feels uh, how have your experiences been working with the similar kind of people you know doing doing whatever years of uh, work that you have done in uh, in the visually challenged with the visually challenged students or children or people uh, how how do you manage to do the emotional balance while keeping yourself invested in it yeah so uh, you know visually impaired people or blind people are just like us um, the only difference is that uh, they don't have one sense they still have four other senses they still very emotionally strong they still have aspirations there's no difference between them and us except for the fact that they cannot see right so all of them have their own stories i mean they they there are some people who want to uh, there are lots of people who are in madly in love just like a lot of people of your age or uh, are madly in love and not able to express to the other person that you are madly in love right so we think that if somebody i mean or madly in love or you know um, have great aspiration to succeed in life to become something uh, maybe become a professor maybe uh, become a banker whatever whatever they can do they all want to be something and the difference between them and us is that they do things differently for example if you and i use our eyes to read they would use either their fingers or their ears fingers meaning braille braille 
you read braille using your fingers tactile yeah. and the meaning of tactile is touch right or their ears through audio right so these days technology has become a huge uh, uh, has opened up huge you know uh, gates for them in the sense that it has empowered them hugely so visually impaired people are just like us and what they require most is not for somebody to feel sorry for them but for somebody to be able to put their arm around you occasionally uh, you know give you galis if you if 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 that's what you want to do if you're angry with somebody and you know you you might just turn around and say something they want you to they want to be treated just like anybody else they don't want to be treated like something special when i started out working with uh, blind children with visually impaired students um, i didn't know this you know i went there with this great and started looking at them with this prism of sympathy and then when that's when i realized that what they want is a prism of empathy they just want you to feel exactly the way they feel basically so it's a lot of fun working with kids working with adults it's not only kids it's working with adults as well and i actually over the years i'm i've been able to do a lot of workshops where uh, we i did a workshop for your class as well yes me and a visually impaired person come together and we chat about what it is like to be visually impaired and how it is not so different right by actually blindfolding students and uh, i've been able to do this at a lot of places uh, at some very very good educational institutions like wilson xavier's iit bombay st stephen's college <laughs> iit uh, delhi and different places plus uh, last july i even got a chance to do this abroad so i had gone to germany with a visually impaired professor and i proposed to him why not you know uh, we do this and to just sensitize people about the world we live in so that has actually allowed me to meet a lot of people and to explain what this world is uh, to a lot of people who are hesitant to ask because they are afraid that they would say something that would not be perceived as being politically correct wow i think the fact that you actually took it out uh you know of india i think you've and i know that you spoke about you spoke about how you've traveled enough in india and you've taken this cause to a lot of places uh i think the the more people we sensitize about it uh i think the more people know get to know how life is for them i think even moments that i have uh, been with ashwin uh were amazing i i remember him just simply sensing me when i pass by you know if i would pass by in the corridor he would immediately take my name because he had such a strong sense of people uh, and and i think they usually recognize how even if it's an intention for example they they get to know your intentions i don't know how do they do it but it's uh, amazing and they know they do it probably it's very very simple uh, let's assume that you're in college you're in wilson college and uh, it's about 11:30 in the night and your mom has been expecting you since 8 o'clock because you said I'll you'll be home for dinner it's 11:30 in the night you're busy with uh, one of the college festivals and you've not gone home at 11 o'clock you call her up right you can't see her uh can you sense that she's very angry on the phone yeah i mean without yeah without seeing her yeah seeing her so all of us are blind you know on the phone everybody except for a video call the person on the other side of the phone call is not visible to you but you can make out whether this person is giving you firki you can make out whether this person is really angry with you you can make out whether this guy is 
praising you to the skies because you know he wants something out of you it's it's not difficult when you're doing this day in and day out when you're not using your sight but you're using your other senses they're not born with those extra senses they just develop those senses and it's uh, at the end of the day it is basically survival instinct they need that to survive so they de- they develop that nothing unusual about it god forbid if it were to happen to you or to me and we had to you know live a life like that we wouldn't lock ourselves in a room and say you know that's the end of it for me when at dinner time i would expect somebody to push a plate in my hand bed time i'd expect somebody to hold my hand and lead me to the bed you'd still want to live as good a life as you could and that's what uh, you know this boy that you spoke about and all the people that i interact with that's what they want to do they just want to lead as normal a life and as fulfilling a life as possible yeah that's yeah probably yeah i mean maybe it's just the sense of uh, just the just the thought that we don't see, we don't realize that we do a lot of things similar to them but we i think we give give i think we give so much undue importance to that one sense that they don't have we give too much importance to that yeah and then it becomes the whole point of sympathy rather than empathy uh uh which takes the boy you mentioned the boy you mentioned yeah yes is he the great blind singer or is he a singer a great singer who happens to be blind yeah he's a great singer who happens to be blind yeah. so that's the prism no through which you can look at it. yeah we go on to the third uh segment which is which i call my i think i thought of calling it unless you are a teacher i don't need a lesson uh, uh i don't know if it's offensive but i just this is a mail you sent on day 10 called morals uh by shabnam minwala uh and i'd like to read a small paragraph that i loved uh in the passage it says a moral reduces a complex narration into a processed and packaged sentiment It's a bit like giving our children a vitamin C supplement rather than allowing them to enjoy a fresh, juicy, messy orange. Children don't need messages in capsules. They need to wander through the dark forests and twisty staircases of fiction to get lost and then eventually find their ways without the dubious aid of neon signposts. Uh this and the you say goodbye in this in gibberish. It's called gidfio. Uh but this this is what i have been i think over the past 6 months this is what i've been discussing with everyone i meet and i only talk about how i how how uh, necessary indians think morals are after a story and and why don't we as people accept the fact that there could be stories which do not have morals uh what are your thoughts on that sir? Yeah, so why should every story have a moral? Was what Shabnam uh, Minwala had written because when she was doing a workshop uh, on storytelling, uh, one of the first questions that the organizer asked us asked her is what is the moral of your story? And so she turned around and uh, answered, "Why should my story have a moral? Why should all stories have morals?" Basically, and morals and something that you know um, we pick up very early in life. Then uh, they're called values, right? What is what is value? for you if i were to ask you to define value what is value what are values uh i think a set of set of behavioral 
and uh, i think at the same time uh, ideological things my parents taught me is it only parents is it life is it, is it teachers is it mentors is it uh, a railway booking clerk inside a railway you know, sitting inside a railway reservation office he may have taught you something as well yeah it's it's not just about parents right it's it could be people younger to you as well but you know i also thought about this this word values and i was confused about what it is and how to describe it and then i attended a lecture on ethics uh, at iit bombay this lecture was delivered by an australian professor from monash university he said something very nice you know he said the definition of values basically is something that you believe in so strongly that you would do it even if nobody was watching you would do this even if no, you were not being policed or watched very very simple example i'll give you uh you're studying you know you studied hard for an exam and you're in the examination hall and there comes a question where you don't which you don't know the answer for the guy who's sitting next to you is not sitting so far away that you cannot see the answer and he's attempting that same question right. now i don't want you to answer this question to me but answer it to your own self right will you be tempted to uh, peer into his answer sheet copy the answer and write that down, write an answer down now let's not be judgmental here there are some people who will do it there are some people who won't do it right all that i'm saying is you're not being policed Uh, at that point the invigilator has turned her back and she's counting supplements or she's writing something or the principal has come outside and she's busy so you have an opportunity to to do it will you take that opportunity if you don't if you decide not to do it in spite of the fact that that opportunity has made itself available then that for you is a very strong value system you believe in that so strongly that you don't need to be policed there are a lot of people who do things because they know that others are watching you you will not break a red signal because you know that there's a there's a cop hiding behind the tree will you not break that red signal or at 5 am at 5 in the morning when you know that there is nobody else on the road and you're just standing there waiting for the signal to turn green basically and there's no cop hiding behind any tree because no cops are out there at 5 am no traffic cops are out there at 5 am unless a politician is driving through to the airport right so value systems basically are about what you believe in so strongly that you would do it even you would follow that even when you are not being watched even when you are not being policed so i you know about morals i think more than morals it's about value and value system change systems change over time what you believed in uh, today you might want to change that that value system for example sex before marriage is something that some people used to use as a value system at some point in in uh, some generations did that now those value systems have undergone a transformation you know so in in some cases it doesn't hold true as a value system any longer for a lot of people so what are your value systems and how do you assess yourself against is the same thing that i was telling about telling what i told my daughter you know when you go to sleep in the morning ask you uh, in the night ask yourself did i let myself down today did i do something that i will live to regret right and that will define the boundaries through which you will be able to navigate through life yes uh, but at the same time so uh, being a teacher 
uh, when most mostly what happens is uh, you enter a class with a motive you enter a class with uh, with a with the thought of finishing this bit of the portion and helping children learn something out of that bit uh, do you do you think there's some sort of an irony um, when when you're a teacher you everything is a lesson to be taught but at the same time you don't want it to have a moral you know teachers need to understand that they are also students in the classroom if you if you think that their only role in the classroom is that of a teacher that's the only hat you're wearing and your only job is to go and uh, distribute gyan then basically you're missing out on something valuable because responses from i have had some wonderful discussions with you guys in your classrooms i have had some wonderful discussions with you personally in the wilson canteen where we had an opportunity to sit once or twice together and share a cup of tea so if teachers look at it only as dispensing lessons and dispensing morals then i think uh, that's only half the job done the other the other half of the job is understanding that you can learn as much learn a lot as well from the interactions with the students somebody might say something that never occurred to you and you say wow such a such a uh, idea could exist as well while we talking about teachers sir, um what is your opinion on the new education policy uh, that has come out i initially so i when it was released or when it was announced i was baffled and i i was amazed at how uh, i wish i could be a part of this uh, generation which was possibly going to experience it uh, having a major and a minor degree at the same time being able to do uh, biology and study music or commerce and history you know whatever it is so uh, not just that part but a lot of other things obviously how they have changed the entire pattern the 5 uh, 5 triple 5 3 3 4 uh that has happened um 12th and 10th exams are going to be lightened a little and then i came across so this is one part of it obviously that i thought of and then i came across a lot of people that told me that uh the instruction la- the language of instruction has been made their mother tongue uh for the first few years uh and that will eventually impact how how the upper caste and the lower caste will s- the difference between them will still uh increase because this was the current scenario was where i had the opportunity to uh learn english and i have been questioned a lot of times by people saying uh are you a christian uh and i said why and they said because your english is so good and i said no i can be a maharashtrian uh, and my english could be good uh so do you do, what is your opinion about uh, the two things so the first thing you asked was about the education policy i think uh, it is good in many ways it is good like for all the reasons that you mentioned the one point that worries me just like it worries you is this bit about the studying in your mother tongue uh for whether you like it or not for better or for worse english is the passport to success in a lot of places today it has been like this for a long long time right um it opens doors for you and it makes some people feel superior to others we're not even talking about caste here we're more more, more than that we're talking about class differences class differences arise because of either the english person english population 
versus the non-English speaking population, right? The yeah. non-English speaking population finds itself at a great uh, disadvantage. So if 20 years from now or 25 years from now, when this entire NEP has been uh, put to the test, if it throws up some good results, it will be excellent. Uh, another worry I will tell you is, uh, I look at a lot of things that this particular political dispensation does with concern. I'm not very, very sure that their motives are entirely in the right place, right? So I, I hope that I will be proved wrong and uh, that they are guided by very good motives. But the track record somehow does not inspire a lot of confidence in that. Saying something, an agenda. Is there an ulterior motive that we are not aware of now, but will suddenly be, make itself apparent a few years from now? So that that part worries me. We'll go on to the fourth mail that you sent, which was day five and six, called Blooms. Uh, it was about uh, the Bogan Villas, a garden in Delhi. Yeah. Yeah, the garden in Delhi and uh, you say, um, I mean, it says here, the trees are situated close to the duck pond from a distance. They appear like friendly giants dressed in pink, go close and they transform into a song and dance set of some Kischi Hindi film. Uh, if that's the right way to say the word, then I love this line as well. Bougainvillas are wildish plants that don't flower well. If you look, if you look after them too lovingly. Like by watering them regularly, said Katiyar. Abandon them and then they bloom beautifully. Uh, yeah, so these, these were lines actually by a man called Mayank Austin Sufi, who is on Instagram as the Delhi Wala. Yes. And, uh, he writes very well. Mm, I follow him and I follow his stories quite closely. And I had read this particular piece that he had written long back and after which I had actually written to him and corresponded with him and told him that I really liked it and he wrote back. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I wrote to him out of the blue and then he wrote back and I think it was an Instagram conversation. I don't remember whether it was an email, but yes, I, I, I did uh, get in touch with him and he got in touch back as well. So then I thought this would be a nice thing to share during the because that was a time March. I think March is when I put this out. Uh, late, mid March or late March. Yeah, it you was put this on twenty third March. Yeah, and that was a time when these blooms were happening in Bombay as well. We were in the peak of the summer. Summer was just beginning to happen, and uh, the color, the city was looking very colorful. Unfortunately, nobody was able to go out because of the like lockdown and see the city. There's a very beautiful stretch of road when you are approaching Powai from uh, Sakinaka when you're going towards Hawaii, near the LNT stretch where the entire stretch of road actually blooms the, the divider the divider blooms with Bogin Villas uh, in the month of March and April uh, two years back I had written an Instagram post on this with, with pictures that I had taken so I just thought it would be a nice thing to share so this came from that yeah I'm pretty sure you love to travel a lot. I think you enjoy traveling and I do a lot. Uh, how? What are the lessons uh, you have learned when it comes to traveling? Yes, uh, who doesn't like to travel? 
uh, and I realized that if you uh, you know use public transport and uh, if you stay in reasonably good reasonable hotels uh, and if you're going to spend most of the time outside as well and if you get a, a room with a decent loo uh, where you can have a nice bath and a nice bed that's all that you need so traveling has uh, you know taken me to places where my mind had gone before and i had certain ideas in my head and uh, either those ideas uh, were completely proved by the travels i took for example i had read a lot about uh, the Nazis and that entire dark chapter in European in in, in the world history about the Nazis. Uh, last July, I got an opportunity to go to Germany. I was telling you about how we had conducted that workshop in Germany. Yeah, and I made it a point to visit a concentration camp and to stand inside a gas chamber and to see for myself the atrocities that were uh, conducted. Now, this was a concentration camp. This was the first concentration camp that the Nazis had put together. And this was just outside Munich. Munich was a place where Hitler had started his activities before moving on to Berlin. Yes. And uh, it was a terrible experience, right? So I stood inside that gas chamber and I just thought, of, you know, uh, the walls, everything was silent. Everything was sanitized, obviously, because it has now become an exhibit. But... I could hear the screams. You know, you can really feel that the vibes when you're standing inside a gas chamber, and and they were so evil that uh, they would tell the Jews, they would tell the prisoners that you know you come after a long train journey and you can go into the showers, right? And so there were spouts, shower spouts on the ceiling, which instead of actually releasing water would release zyklon, which was a poisonous gas, and within ten or fifteen minutes. Every single in the person in that room would have, you know, fallen dead, gasped to death, and died a horrible death. So, travel teaches you the good and bad, and you know, it gives you a slice about. I'm, I'm very fond of history, and travel teaches you a lot about the history that you read in the books, and allows you to make your own stories when you actually go to the places. For example, when I went to Aurangabad, and I heard a lot of things about Aurangzeb. Aurangzeb has this. Uh, you know, uh, reputation of being uh, quite a fundamentalist, one of the fundamentalist emperors. But there were some good things about Aurangzeb as well, which maybe I'll I'll leave that story for another day. But it was only when I went to Aurangabad and I went and visited his grave that I realized that uh, he wasn't such a bad guy as we paint him out to be. Yeah, I mean, I remember traveling in 2016. It was our IV that went to Indore. And uh, and it was all planned. Obviously, I I lied to my parents and I told them that I'm going to my friend's place. And we were about four or five of them. And then I remember just running away from Indore uh, to Jaipur, then to Manali, then to Bhopal, alone because I wanted to travel alone once. And I wouldn't have. I mean, they wouldn't allow me to do it otherwise with the permission. So I remember spending 24 hours alone in a bus from Jaipur to Manali. Uh, scared for life, uh, and I remember my mother calling me when around in the night when I got down at Chandigarh for dinner, and uh, and she was just asking me how are you doing, where are you, all of that, and she sensed it. I don't know, and she just says, "Are you are you alone? 
are you traveling alone and i said yes please don't tell father and she said no no you can come home and you can speak to your father yourself and you figure it out but uh, but then she asked me to take care and everything but yeah i mean i could feel a whole lot of things i felt fear i i learned a lot of independence money management i did all of this in 7000 so i knew where to spend how to spend i had friends in every city so they they were hosting me basically but uh, but i think it it did teach a lot and i would want to do it again this time without lying obviously but yes. <laughs> somebody has put this very well you know uh, the uh, somebody i read this somewhere when a person has written travel introduces a man to himself yeah you get introduced to your own self it teaches you a lot it teaches you a lot about your own self this makes me want to go to the fifth mail uh, and the last mail uh, which you sent me on day 7 uh, called pathos by khalid husaini uh, i am going to call this the entire concept of the end of life because i fear the word death a lot and i fear the concept of death uh, i haven't been i don't know fortunate fortunate unfortunate enough to see death myself or or have experienced it around me but um, but it 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 does imbibe a sense of fear in me uh what, what is your what is your thought about uh this what what do you think that is do you do you sometimes think about the end of life i don't to be honest because i don't think it's in our control and uh, i have seen death at close quarters my parents passed away my a lot of a couple of friends passed away teachers passed away uh i had uh, some families to come to terms with it by arranging eye donation after their near and dear dear ones and died i have actually been inside a room where the eyes were literally being you know surgically taken out by somebody after a person by a doctor after a person had died so i have seen death at close quarters but my wife always says one thing and i strongly agree with her when she says that heaven and hell are both here on earth we have no idea what is beyond right but you experience everything right here you experience yeah. the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows so death does not worry me simply because i have not allowed it to worry and and do you wonder about um, online presence for example even when we are gone uh, our our online presence is always going to be here our accounts are going to be here our pictures are going to be here uh, do you do you think there's a sense of foreverness it's eternal uh yeah it, one of the newsletters i had sent was about a sharmila regi sharmila regi yeah and that mentioned this basically about how our digital lives will outlive us yeah for a very very long time basically right so something that you posted something that somebody might forward or might pop up on someone's instagram or facebook feed or twitter feed is something is bound to happen but that's all a very recent phenomenon uh technologies advancing by leaps and bounds we're talking about artificial intelligence now so you don't know what the next week i i don't know what november is going to bring we are today in uh, august right september yeah, i don't know what the world is going to look like who even knows what the world is going to look like 5 5 months 5 years from now you know we are planning for 5 years and 10 years from now but we don't know what the world is going to look like in november whether we're going to be out of our homes or whether we're still going to be inside you know struggling with this 
it'll be remarkable if we actually manage to sit inside our houses till the end of this year that will be almost almost living 3/4 of the year in in the four walls yeah. i think and it is yeah. it has stopped yeah. driving a lot of people to do that and but one has to make peace with that i'm 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 quite eager to you know uh, for this to end and for me to be able to go out at the first available opportunity obviously with all safety restrictions in place one should never be reckless right but you cannot uh, be held hostage by a situation uh, to such an extent that you literally lock yourself you convert your house into a bunker and say i will emerge like rip van winkle only after this only 40 years from now if corona is going to take 40 years to go away yeah i mean yeah there'll be a day when we'll have to make peace with it wear our masks gloves sanitizers and walk out uh, that's that uh, also like i think you did answer it indirectly but do you do you think uh, there is life after death do you think there is a i i hear a lot of people talking about souls i hear a lot of people talk, talking about how you can feel it when you when you reach that place like you could hear the screams of all the people when you were walking uh you know uh, you were standing in the gas chamber or you were walking through that place do you think yeah, there is that was happening in my head so whether there were actually there is actually life after death is not something that i have really spent too much time thinking about what i do know is that you know you experience every single thing in this one life you experience heaven and hell in this life uh, we go through our most depressing moments we go through our most exhilarating moments you know uh, we fall in love and feel ecstatic about it for the for the time it lasts and then if it breaks up you suddenly realize or you think that your world has come crashing down everything happens here May, things might be happening beyond here but so far nobody has lived to tell the tale and nobody has come back from there to tell us what happens there so i really don't believe in spending too much time thinking about something that we have no idea about. what are your what are your plans for the rest of the quarantine sir and uh, what what do you think the future looks like i'm waiting to get out uh, <laughs> i'm just waiting to get out uh, as as long have as have you not same. stepped out even a bit sorry sir have you not stepped yes. out even i, I go for a lot sabzi sabzi and all of that yes it's not only sabzi but nowadays uh, under this unlockdown mission we are also allowed to go out, go out and have walks so yeah uh, taking all the adequate precautions i've been going out uh, as regularly as i can uh, spending uh, time uh, keeping social distancing in mind keeping all of that uh, wearing masks and it, it makes me you know very very angry when i see people not wearing masks i mean it's that's the least you can do not just for yourself but for people around you right. this is um, irrespective of gender irrespective of age irrespective of class uh, i just this morning i saw a, per- a person get out of a car a lady a well well to do lady get out of a car walk into a shop to buy something and come on she wasn't wearing a mask right i mean uh, how do you tell people that this is the, the least minimum that you can do i have to mention sir that uh, i mean since we are closing this we are almost closing this i have to mention that college was fun because of you and uh, I, it was sad that uh, digital media i think was only held once a week 
and Thursdays were best because we could have three, four hours of you and uh, coffee. And uh, and then we, I think mostly what used to happen is post-digital media, that the next lecture wouldn't happen. So we would just leave for home or we would chill in the college. Uh, that was the idea. But Thursday, Thursdays were really good. And I miss it a lot. Uh, think, I'm, because I've stepped out of college and it's freshly just a year uh, ago. So uh, I think I think uh, I have to thank you for that. Uh, a lot of, I think a lot of myself is an extension of what you taught in classes uh, or what you taught uh, us in those six months that we had. Uh, I'm glad I had the at the I had the chance to be taught by you, and I'm sad that a lot of others couldn't uh, post my batch. Uh, but uh, sir, would you be interested in hosting a webinar for my class? Of course, we will most certainly. We must. Do One day, I was just thinking throughout this research. I was thinking, sir, ko ek bar pooch leta if you would like to take a one-hour session, and then I'll tell the whole. I'll be the CR for that one hour, and I'll send everyone the link. Rather than have a top-down chat, let's. I mean, I'll speak for a little while, and then let's just have an open discussion about so many things that we need to talk about. Chale, yes, I am up for it. I mean, if you don't mind, <laughs> absolutely no problem at all. And you spoke about you know you having fun in college. Uh, I used to look forward to coming there seven thirty in the morning to reach uh, Wilson at seven thirty from Andheri. It meant that I had to be home at six, which meant that I had to wake up at five. Quickly make myself at boil an egg or make myself an omelette and you know curl it down. And but uh, I really looked forward to that because of the interaction, the level of interaction. Right, your class had a lot of energy. Wilson had a lot of energy, and most of the classes that I do, I see that people say that you know this generation is uh, lost. Uh, they're selfish. They um, don't really uh, you know look beyond a certain point. I don't think a lot of that is true. I think if you can connect with people, they will certainly connect back with you. Yes, sir. I and and that is the attempt of alive and kicking. We are trying to just connect with people and help. I mean, uh, the first podcast is already out, and we've had people messaging us saying how it it really helped them or it, it made sense to them. And I hope this episode. How do I accept this? How do I access that podcast? So it's on Instagram and it's on YouTube and it's on Spotify. <laughs> As alive and kicking. As alive and kicking. Okay. Uh, so yeah. it's on Spotify. It's alive and kicking. Uh, it's on my profile on Instagram. I'll send you the links also, sir, uh, over email if possible uh, for YouTube. And uh, and let me know your thoughts if you like it or not. And I hope. This episode does that to a lot of people too. I don't follow a lot of people on Instagram for the simple reason that many accounts are private, and I think you know I'm um, not of the same generation as you are. I'm, I'm I'll turn fifty six in a couple of months, and wow. if I send you a, a a friend request, I don't really want to put anybody in a situation where they say you know a beja to hai. How do we say no? I mean you know we really don't want this guy in our in our thing. But the point no, is, but sir, we follow each other already. Yeah, so there are a lot of people, especially whose pages are private pages. Who, yeah. uh, as a rule, I never send a request uh, or try to follow somebody like that because I honestly don't know whether uh, they would be comfortable. That's a lot of self-control and thoughts. Uh, I mean, 
I don't think so. We do that. We just follow, click follow. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir, for taking out this hour. Uh, I'm uh, I'm going to I'm glad that you did this. I don't know. I years later I'll pro- possibly do another season and we'll again catch up. <laughs> sure, we'll do that. Look forward to that. Thank you for inviting me and allowing me to connect with a lot of people from your batch who I'm sure will be able to will 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 listen to this. Uh, it, it should be fun, and I'm looking forward to meeting all. We will be very happy to see your video, sir. And I haven't told anyone about this, so they are they'll possibly be stunned. Uh, but thank you, and I'm going to ask the users to subscribe, like, and uh, comment, and let us know what they think. Uh, we are doing a live in kicking. It's keeping up uh, feet, Krishna Warrior. Uh, thank you so much. Hey, so the next time someone asks you how are you doing, you better say I'm alive and kicking. Thank you for making it till the end of the podcast. You can check out our other episodes and visit our social media pages for other alive and kicking related content. Thank you.